Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Welcome to Liquid Church. Can we hear it for the Dancing Stormtroopers? Hey, praise God, a lot of fun, right? Good time, glad you're here. Welcome all across New Jersey. Glad you guys are here. Awesome to have you. I want to welcome you to Cosmic Christmas Eve. My name is Pastor Tim. I serve as lead pastor and captain of the Millennium Falcon. So we're glad that you guys are here today. Uh, if it's your first time, uh, I want to welcome you. We are going to tell you the Christmas story today in a way you've probably never heard and hopefully will never forget. Any Star Wars fans here today? Let me see your hand if you're a Star Wars fan, okay? Yeah. Did you see the movie? You saw it? Okay, you got tickets? Uh, I'm excited. I remember when the first movie came out in 1971. I was about six years old at the time, and in fact, my parents would not let me see the movie until I was about 10 or 11, but that didn't stop me because as a 10-year-old boy, on Christmas Eve, I remember praying. I remember pleading with my parents, please, please, please buy me the Millennium Falcon. That was my dream as a 10-year-old boy. And Christmas morning when I woke up and that falcon was underneath the tree, I was like, I became a Christian. At that moment, I was like, there's a God, you know, in the universe. But it's interesting because I spent that Saturday morning assembling, you know, the Millennium Falcon with my, my dad, and that began my love affair. I mean, thousands of, you know, little action figures and lights, uh, lightsabers, you know, land speeders later, I had quite a collection. My, my Bible at the time was this book, the Star Wars Storybook. And I remember reading that over and over and over again. And it begins with those now famous words that every single one of you know. So let's read them together. Ready? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away or once upon a time, or as God's story begins, in the beginning. Every epic story has to set itself against the universe where there's a life and death battle, there's a romance to be won. I remember reading this book from cover to cover over and over again because there was something about that space saga of Luke and Leia and Han Solo and Chewie and Vader that just kind of captured my imagination. To believe that on Christmas, somewhere out there in the galaxy, there was this war behind the stars unfolding where the fate of the universe hung in the balance. And in many ways, that's true, isn't it? That's really our story as Christians. See, the stories we all love are echoes of the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And tonight, we are going to learn about the birth of Jesus Christ in a way you've probably never heard. It's from the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, which tells the story of Christmas from heaven's perspective. There is an evil emperor. There is a miraculous birth. There is a bloody battle behind the stars between the forces of good and evil. And together, tonight, we are going to have a mashup. We're going to mash up Star Wars and scripture and tell the story of Christmas in a way that you're going to have fresh eyes. Now, before we jump into Revelation, let me, let me tell you what kind of inspired this idea. Uh, when I was a boy of uh, 10 or 11, I loved adventure, and I remember spending hours playing with our little nativity set. Do you guys have this underneath your Christmas tree? How many of you families got like a nativity set at home? Okay, yeah. That's kind of, oh, we're clapping for nativity set. All right, yeah. Praise God. 
right? It kind of features the little crush where the baby Jesus gets put in the manger. And, you know, we have Mary and we have Joseph, the, the parents watching over. And in our nativity set, we had the three wise men, right? And an angel who appeared to the shepherds and the star of Bethlehem. And I remember playing, you know, underneath the Christmas tree with, you know, the nativity set. But as a 10-year-old boy, I was kind of like, boring. Honestly, you could do that for about five minutes. I was bored out of my mind. You know, I didn't care at Christmas about the Star of Bethlehem. I cared about the Death Star. That's what I wanted. And so unbeknownst to my mom, I actually hijacked our family nativity. I replaced Mary and Joseph with the action figures from my Star Wars box. Instead, I put Princess Leia and Han Solo. Who better to guard the newborn king than Han Solo, right? Out went the three wise men. In went C-3PO and R2-D2. I mean, there wasn't a cow in the barn. I put Chewbacca in the manger, okay? On and on it went. Jedis and battling out with Sith Lords. I even replaced, I imagine this, Jesus with a little Jawa. Now, that's sacrilege. I know some of you are like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it in your pastor today. But track with me, track with me. There was something in my boyhood imagination that wanted to believe that the stakes were higher, there were epic battles happening on Christmas Eve, that there was a life and death struggle behind the stars, a cosmic war between good and evil where the fate of the universe hung in the balance. Well, I want you to imagine my surprise when I opened Revelation chapter 12 for the first time. Have you ever actually read this? I know we've been going over it for the last couple of weeks as a church, but if it's your first time here tonight, I want to let you know this is something you will never see in a Hallmark card. This isn't going to be on your advent calendar. Revelation 12 gives us a picture of Christmas that even George Lucas couldn't imagine because Revelation 12 kind of pulls back the curtain to give us a glimpse of Christmas from Revelation's heaven's perspective, somewhere deep in the galaxy behind the stars a long time ago, far, far away, where there is a battle over a baby, and it's between the dark side and the light. Well, here's the deal. For the last two weeks, our church has been unpacking Revelation chapter 12. And tonight, I want to show you what we found. Because Revelation is very much like a movie. It tells the story of God in three acts. Act one opens with a rebellion in heaven. There is a bloody battle behind the stars. Act two is the rescue. There's a miraculous birth where God's rescue plan for our planet is revealed. That's Christmas. But act three talks about the return of the king who has promised to defeat the dark side and end evil forever. So tonight, we're going to race through the three acts of Revelation. But first, let me just kind of warn you if you're new. Revelation is kind of a strange book, kind of weird language. That's because it's called apocalyptic literature. What that is, it's a type of Hebrew scripture that uses like symbols and dreams and visions to reveal the plan of God in history. That's why it's actually called Revelation. It's going to reveal to us the hope we have in Jesus Christ and the ultimate triumph of God over evil in the end times. So let's read the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus in Revelation 12. You can turn in your Bible there or flip there on your phone. The Apostle John wrote Revelation. He's going to pull back the curtain for us to reveal the other side of Christmas, the story behind the stars. Here's what it says. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. 
The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment he was born. But she gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Skip down to verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Verse 17 sums up the story. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? Those who keep God's commands and hold to their testimony about Jesus. Merry Christmas, indeed. (laughs) I bet that is a story you've never seen on a Christmas card before because it's this extraordinary count that kind of stands in contrast to the quiet, peaceful scenes we typically think of at Christmas. See, Revelation is the last book of the New Testament. But typically at Christmas, we go to the first books of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, to read about the birth of Jesus. How the Holy Spirit came to the Virgin Mary and said, you're going to conceive a child by the power of God and going to miraculously give birth. And we read about how there was no room at the inn, right? So Joseph, they actually have an emergency delivery. The Virgin gives birth in a barn. Think about this. The king of heaven bored into into an animal's feeding trough. That's what the manger is where where the animals would eat. Pretty humble circumstances for the savior of the planet. But sometimes I think, Our familiarity with that scene on earth makes us lose sight of the cosmic significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's where Revelation 12 is a great help. See, on earth on Christmas Eve, all may be calm and bright, but in heaven, war broke out. A bloody battle is underway in the spiritual realm. See, this account in Revelation 12 reveals a level of cosmic combat between God and his legions of angels who are intent on delivering a savior to our world, and Satan and his demonic forces intent on destroying that child at all costs. Now, let me make a disclaimer. If you're visiting today, somebody invited you, this could be weird, (laughs) right? If you're not a Christian or, or you're not familiar with the Bible, like I get it, revelations can sometimes seem like a Quentin Tarantino movie on acid. I understand that, okay? But just track with me because Revelation is kind of like a puzzle. It's kind of fun when you try to decode it, and I bet you already know more than you think. Let's see if we can figure out who is who in this story behind the stars. With verse, Start with verse 1. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with a crown of 12 stars on her head. Any idea who this is? Yeah, in Revelation, numbers are important. They're symbolic And she's got a crown of 12 stars on her head, and that represents the 12 tribes of Israel. So this woman is a reference to the Virgin Mary, the Jewish maiden chosen by God to give birth to the Son of God. Verse 2 says Mary is at the point of delivery. She's pregnant. She cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then suddenly in verse 3, another sign appears in heaven. Only this one is much more sinister. Then another sign appeared, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten hordes and seven crowns on its heads. Any idea who this is? Merry Christmas, Darth. 
It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. I want to know what happened to the plans they sent you. Plans? I'm just a pastor. This is a costume. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. The force is strong with this one. (laughs) You are... Do you have asthma? Do you? I find your lack of faith disturbing. I have a rescue inhaler if you, you know. Disturbing indeed. Who is the Dark Lord? of Revelation. Notice in verse 3, the red dragon has 10 horns, which in Hebrew literature is a symbol of great satanic power. In verse 9 confirms that the dragon is that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. In Dutch, Darth Vader means dark father. And yes, evil is real. And the forces of darkness are active in our world. Just watch the news. And they were working overtime on Christmas Eve to thwart God's plans of rescue. It says, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Now, what does this mean? Because this is the sign in heaven, but what was happening on earth at this time? Well, we know from historical record that the king of the Jews, that was historically King Herod, caught wind of a newborn king who he saw as a threat to his throne. So what did King Herod do? According to the gospels, Herod ordered that all Jewish baby boys under the age of two would be massacred. This is what it says according to Matthew 2. It says, Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under. The first gospel account of state-sponsored terrorism, ethnic cleansing in the Middle East. Merry Christmas. See, Herod worked for the original evil emperor. His name was Caesar Augustus. And they were obsessed with staying in power. So he orders the execution of innocent children in Bethlehem. So catch this. On Christmas Eve, there are two opposing forces behind the stars. There is Mary in anguish trying to bring forth life in God's plan of salvation. But Satan in anger trying to bring death and destruction. The dark side and the light. The dark side tries to silence the child, but it's too late. It says, she gave birth to a son a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne, which is John's way of telling us, who is this child? This is Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, who the prophet Isaiah predicted would one day rule the universe. And thus begins a battle over a baby. Let me take out my blaster for this next line. Let's read this together. It says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now, to me, I look at this, and the fight seems kind of lopsided. So I'm going to call for some backup. Do we have anybody else who can help us on this part of the rebellion? Chewy, we're home. It's incredible. Chewbacca and Jedi Joseph. Joseph, where is your, your staff? Where's your shepherd's staff? Ah, uh, here we go. I want you to imagine this scene of cosmic combat. Swords are unsheathed. Warriors of light against demons of darkness. Intense spiritual warfare is about to go down. See, the angels in Revelation are not fat little cherubs strumming their harp, flapping their little wings. They are God's cosmic warriors on the front lines of spiritual battle. And at this moment on Christmas Eve, under the command of God himself, they are confronting the face of evil in a defining moment of cosmic 
combat. This is the face of Christmas from heaven's perspective. The dark side and the light. This is the original Star Wars, the epic battle between God and evil. And yes, the fate of humanity did hang in the balance on Christmas. See, on Christmas Eve, two parallel histories are occurring. There's the scene on earth, and then there's the one in heaven. But Revelation views them together at the same time. On earth, a baby was born, a king got wind of it, and a chase ensued. But in heaven, the great invasion had begun. A daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. See, act one of God's story opens with a rebellion in heaven, the original cosmic conflict that poisoned our planet. But act two is God's rescue plan for our world. It all begins with this tiny, vulnerable baby boy born in a barn. Wah! <laughs> Aren't you intimidated? <laughs> I'm talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, leaving heaven to invade earth as a living, breathing baby who screams and, and spits up. <laughs> this is one of Christianity's greatest mysteries and greatest miracles. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this word incarnation, it's pretty easy to remember you know that the Spanish word carne means meat, like chili con carne, chili with meat. Incarnation, God with meat. God with skin on the bones. That's what the incarnation literally is. I want you to think about this. God, the infinite God, creator of the universe, cuts through time and space and makes his dwelling among us. He puts meat and skin on his, on his frame. The spirit becomes flesh. I love how the message translates John's 1. It says this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, which is the improbable claim of Christmas. As God's son, Jesus was 100% divine, but on Christmas, God's son became 100% human. Imagine the humility of this. The prince of heaven comes to our earth, is born amidst the dirt and the dung into a dark world and then experiences every human limitation that you and I experience. The Son of God, who created the heavens with the word of his mouth, can't control his bladder. The God who spoke creation into existence can't eat solid food. The God who actually lives beyond the stars, created galaxies, is now homeless. Jesus is dependent on the love of an unwed teenage mother, a refugee family in the Middle East, it doesn't get more humble than that. The infinite God becomes an infant child and nurses at Mary's breast. It doesn't get more intimate than that. Why did God choose this entrance for his son? Why would the ancient of days invade the enemy's camp disguised as a baby? See, the improbable claim at Christmas, what we're celebrating tonight, is that God entered our galaxy through a virgin's womb so that he could avoid and bypass the infection of sin that you and I are infected by. See, you and I are children of Adam. In other words, we have human fathers. And so we carry in us the original stain of sin. We're broken. We're bent by nature. That is why Satan has such an easy time twisting us, tempting us, distorting us, manipulating us. None of us have escaped this. Every one of us has fallen short of the perfection that God designed us for. But Jesus 
Jesus was God's only begotten son, meaning he didn't have a human father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born with a sinless nature. Why? So that he could be the perfect substitute, live the life that you and I were supposed to live, and then die the death that you and I deserved. See, 33 years after the cradle of Christ, it led to the cross of Calvary, where Jesus would die a sinner's death in your place so that you could be forgiven by God and reunited with your Father in heaven. That is what you were created for. God's story is your story, and God is your Father. Amen? That's the hope we have in Christianity. Here's what Colossians 1 tells us. It says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, in whom we have the redemption of, redemption of lives, the forgiveness of what? Of our sins. Yeah, very much so. See, on the cross, Jesus broke the power of Satan's sin and death, and He does it for one reason. It's out of love for you. An epic love for you and for me. I want you to think of all the movies that you love. The great moment of sacrifice comes when a hero says, you know what, I'm going to lay down my sword, and then I'm going to lay down my life for my beloved. That's the theme of the original Star Wars. What's going on, buddy? You're being put into carbon freeze. What if he doesn't survive? He's worth a lot to me. The Empire will compensate you if he dies. Put him in. Listen to me. Chewie. Chewie, this won't help me. Hey! Save your strength. There'll be another time. The princess. You have to take care of her. You hear me? Huh? I love you. I know. kids, Han Solo survived. It's carbonite. Ask your parents. They'll explain it. (laughs) See, all the epic love. What's an epic? An epic is a love story set in the midst of a life and death battle. I want you to think of all the epic movies that you love because they're simply reflections of God's larger reality that salvation always requires sacrifice. Can we say that out loud together? Salvation requires sacrifice. Think of all the epics that you and I love in our generations. The stories change, the characters change, but the theme is always the same. There's somebody who steps forward and says, I'm going to sacrifice my life to save theirs. 
in Titanic, it's Jack. Jack gives his life to rescue his beloved Rose from a certain icy death in the Atlantic. For Rose to live, Jack must die. Salvation requires sacrifice. In Braveheart, William Wallace, he gives his life to save Scotland and defeat the evil Longshanks. I see an army of my countrymen here. In defiance of tyranny, will you fight? Will you fight for your freedom? That, you remember, powerful, oh, I love that moment, man. Wallace dies. He's what? Crucified. And his crucifixion is an echo of Christ and his victory through the cross. Salvation always requires sacrifice. In the Hunger Games, even Katniss steps forward in place of Prim. And he says, no, Prim, you stay, she says. I will go. I'll give my life as what? Tribute. Why? Because salvation always requires sacrifice. Every great epic, every story is set in a time of great darkness and bondage. Does that sound familiar? And there are people who are doomed to die unless someone steps forward and says, I'll give my life as a substitute so they can go free and live. Guys, that is our story. That is the heart of Christianity. That is the message of Christmas, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. See, to defeat the darkness, a savior is needed. For someone to live, someone must die. And God sends his only son to die and rise again. So we would get the message that God's love is stronger than death. Amen? Amen. That's the great hope of Christianity. That is what we hang our hat on. It's this shimmering truth in a dark world that nothing in this life, neither height nor depth, Neither life nor death, angels or demons, nothing else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? That's our message. Through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you and I have the guarantee of heaven. We have the promise of eternal life with God the Father and God the Son for all eternity. And one day soon, he'll return and together... We will rule the universe. Did you know that's what's promised in Act 3 when Christ returns? See, after the rebellion and after the rescue comes the return of the king. And Act 3 is the climax of history that we've all been waiting for. When Jesus returns and finally defeats the dark side once and for all. And let me tell you, Revelation 19 says when Jesus returns and steps foot on the battlefield of planet Earth a second time, it will not be as a vulnerable little baby but as a conquering and triumphant king. failed, your highness. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. 
See, it's Christmas Eve, and we are awaiting a return. Not the return of a Jedi, but the return of Jesus the Christ. <laughs> See, 2,000 years ago was the first Advent. Advent means coming. But right now, you and I live between Act 2 and Act 3 of God's story. After the rescue of Christmas, we are awaiting Christ's return. When the Son of God returns to defeat Satan once and for all and establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to imagine a world where terrorism is gone, where human trafficking is gone, where cancer is eradicated, where all the evils, all the pain, all the darkness we see in this world, every tear, every pain, gone, and Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's where your story is going. That's where history is headed. His story is history, and your story is part of it. You have a role to play. I want you to think of this. The king of heaven chose you to live during this unprecedented moment in history between the rescue and the return of Christ. And what that means, guys, is that as our world gets darker and darker, you are like the angels. You are a messenger. You are a herald sent from the kingdom of light to push back the darkness with the light of Christ. Here's what John wrote. He said, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has what? Not overcome it. In other words, the light of Christ is more powerful than the darkness of any man. Amen? As people of the incarnation, guys, it means we go into dark places. We go into places of neglect, of poverty, of injustice, and we boldly shine the light of Christ. And let me tell you, I'm so proud of you. This Christmas, so many of you have done just that. At our Christmas outreach, we had 2,000 warriors of compassion pack over 240,000 meals for the hungry and homeless around New Jersey. You donated coats. You wrapped presents for kids who don't have money. They were living at or below the poverty line. You know what that is? That's the light of Christ overcoming the darkness of poverty and hunger. Amen? That's why some of you fly halfway around the world to bring clean water to countries like Nicaragua and Haiti. It's why some of you are flying to Rwanda, a country that's been ravaged by the darkness of genocide. But that's what you do as a Christian. Your life has a purpose. It's to push back the darkness of war and poverty with the light of the gospel. If you're new to liquid, you need to know this is what we're passionate about. This is why we exist. This is our purpose. It is to herald the coming king and break in the kingdom. Next year, we have so much planned. In February, we're partnering with the Tim Tebow Foundation for Night to Shine, which is an adult uh, program for special needs adults. Folks with Asperger's and autism and Down syndrome, we're going to have a prom for them. And we're going to treat them and crown each one as a king and a queen. Because that's who they are in God's eyes. And that's what our passion is, shining a light in a dark world. Guys, this is our most desperate hour. Everywhere you look, our planet is bleeding. People are suffering. Fear is rising and truth is being twisted. But as a Christ follower, you have a role to play in a revolution that began 2,000 years ago when God sent his son to rescue you. And now you are being recruited to give everybody you know a preview of the coming kingdom of love and mercy and justice in God's name. I want you to think about this. You were born into this time to set your times aright. What could be more exciting than that? You have a destiny, and it's to work with the kingdom of God to defeat the dark side for all eternity. Guys, this is our mission as a church, and I want to read this out loud with a big voice at Christmas, John 1. It says, say it together, ready? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? Amen. Who's ready to let their light shine in 2016?
That's what we're going to do, guys. Amen. Well, as a sign of your commitment right now, instead of lighting candles, we are going to give you your very own lightsaber. We are going to give you a glow stick to light up the darkness at your campus. Our ushers are coming through, just reach in the popcorn bucket, take out a glow stick, and this is going to be a sign of hope. We're going to light up New Jersey tonight on Christmas Eve as a message that the King has come, and he's coming again. So let's do this. I'd like everybody to stand up. Once you've got your lightsaber, would you stand up? I'll show you how this is going to work. It's very easy to activate. Just break it, shake it, and illuminate it, okay? One, two, three. Break, shake, and illuminate. Illuminate. I don't want to see any red ones out there. You're in the dark side, okay? I'm just telling you, all right? Hold them high. Hold them high. Tonight, we're overcoming fear with faith. We're overcoming hate with hope. Let your light shine and let's pray together. Father God, on Christmas Eve, we declare a kingdom of faith and hope and love. Father, thank you for the salvation we have through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Tonight, it is all about him. Father God, we thank you for the echoes that we see in a dark world. A light has come and it's the light of Christ and the darkness shall not overcome it. We ask now, Lord, your blessing on every family gathered here, Father God. We sing with joy that the great invasion has begun. It is underway, Father God. I ask that you'd protect us, fill your people right now with the Holy Spirit, that we may proclaim peace on earth and joy to the world. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.